Well, apologies in advance. My dogs are probably going to nonstop play because that's convenient timing. Um, <laughs> hopefully they'll tire themselves out though. Um, but please call me Sarah. Um, I am a counseling, uh, a doctor of counseling psychology. So that's the, um, like, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Murder Husbands, an in-depth episode-by-episode discussion of Brian Fuller's Hannibal based on characters from the novels by Thomas Harris. We are Popsicle, a group of like-minded creators who enjoy getting together to have big conversations for big stories. I am Claire Thorne, geeky crafter and designer of all things that you can stitch and stab things with thread. Um, And I never wander around in scary places without the rest of my intrepid Popsicle crew. Uh, Justin Pennison, the font of knowledge and creator of the hard-boiled fantasy webcomic, Hunter Black, and a writer on the upcoming Sonic Prime series. Hi, Justin. Hi, now. Kelly Sumilano, font of wit and writer of the Hex 11 comic series. Hi, Kelly Sue. Uh, Philip Kelly, font of comedy and tragedy, actor, writer, creator, and producer of all things Popsicle. Hi, Philip. Good morning. Hopefully not that are, tragic. I, I hope. Are you are you ready? Are you ready for this episode? I, I yeah, yeah. I got okay, it all out good. of my system just really checking all right and last but not least lisa k weber font of beauty and artist of the hex 11 comic series partner in crime to kelly sumilano hello lisa k weber hello hello and we are so delighted this episode we have a very special guest dr sarah hayes who is a doctor of counseling psychology a licensed clinician and specializes in geek therapy which I think we can all agree um, in the popsicle group. We need we need some geek <laughs> therapy. At this point. Thanks for having me, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a doctor of counseling psychology, so I studied the application of therapeutic practice, but I specialized in video games. Wrote my dissertation on um, the study between avatars and the things we have in common with them, and other people who play and adventure games. Um, and then I started branching into some research on Persona Three, and then. Um, did work in the like convention sector, do lots of talks and panels there. And then I started working for Take This, which is a mental health nonprofit that um, wants to decrease stigma and encourage support around mental health in the gaming industry and space. And then I helped found Queer Women of Esports. Um, and so now I lead the mentorship program there and am the people lead. So basically, like I call myself the anti-HR um <laughs> make sure everybody's doing good otherwise um i stream a whole bunch i don't have my own stream but i guessed on a weird number of streams mm-hmm. um and my clinical history relevant to the show i've worked in um i've worked with inpatient sex offenders including people who like have no remorse or have no like what we would categorize as psychopaths or sociopaths Um, I've also worked with people in treatment clinics and, um, in and out of prison and jail. And I have definitely talked to people who've murdered people. So this always tickles that kind of niche that gets me out of the private practice that I actually earn money from beside my nonprofit work. Wow. Nice. Nice. Wow. Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Hi. This is going to be Hi. great. Welcome. I'm so excited to yeah. hear what you have to say about all of this stuff. Yeah. I'm so excited. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to get a long sheet of like, you guys know that Hannibal's not sexy at all, right? You know that he's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He will, I mean, it doesn't know that, clear, right? So. Yeah. 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 He's not my bag, but that's we're, okay. we're all going to be butthurt at the end of this. You know? yeah. <laughs> so before we dive into that discussion, Justin and Lisa are going to take us through a quick recap of. I can never pronounce these. The French was bad enough, but I'm the Japanese, even after hearing it, it mukozuke. I just feel like I'm doing it. That sounds job. great. Yeah, anyway. That sounded yeah, pretty that good to me. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Oh, like, what was thank wrong you. With that that makes, <laughs> makes me feel much better. Oh, I'm, just... I'm confident they would not have kicked you out of Japan. Yeah. Um... <laughs> well, if I didn't have it written down, all of the vowels get mixed up for me and I just say something that is not the word. So <laughs> I have to actually see it. Anyway, Justin and Lisa... Please take us through a summary. Our episode opens with Hannibal making another breakfast, all fancy with prawns and shit, while Will Graham's breakfast of prison slop is prepared by a set of faceless hands. Yes, the irony is cruel. Hannibal is probably much more hungry, given that he thwarted Bella's plans to take her own life, attacked and killed Beverly Katz, and is gaslighting the hell out of Jack all in the same 24 hours. It isn't until we follow Freddie Lowndes and her anonymous tip back up into the old observatory that we start to feel the weight of his psychopathy. Because she has absolutely no heart whatsoever, Freddie Lowndes snaps a few photos before alerting the FBI. Once they arrive, Freddie urges Jack to send someone else because she's one of your own. Jack walks inside to find Beverly Katz, her body horizontally sliced into six pieces and suspended in a series of thin glass panels. If there was ever a time to whisper, what the actual fuck, it's now. By the way, wasn't her body vertically sliced? <laughs> I, I, this is horizontal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Depends on if she's laying down or standing up, which, you know. Oh, she was, she was kind of both in this, yeah. <laughs> she was laying. Yeah. Sorry, go on. The murder of Beverly creates a resounding thud throughout the land. These aren't just randos anymore. Will asks to see her in a suited up, full Silence of the Lamb style, and rolled right on into the observatory. Will deduces that she was strangled, she knew him, that once dead, she was frozen, and then sliced on a bandsaw. Who has time for this? Will knows exactly who, Will knows exactly who, but Jack still won't hear it. Will says, I bet her organs are missing, and Jack is like, no way. But yes way. Well, sort of. Her kidneys were swapped with those of the muralist, and now anything is possible. Will then conducts a series of chit-chats, the first with Abel Gideon. He wants Abel to give up Hannibal now that he remembers the night in the dining room. No dice. Gideon is too smart for that and also is like, just kill him and then you'll know. Ugh, fine. Next up, Freddie Lowndes. Will wants her to interview him so he can call his admirer out of the woodwork. Very much dice. <laughs> Freddie Lowndes is an opportunistic little shit and takes the bait, leading to a truly delicious plot twist. The admirer is a prison orderly, a super creepy tattooed freak who goes on about things like normal people don't understand us. Will is like, this is my guy and tells him to kill Hannibal Lecter. So like any psycho creep, he hatches a plan and gets real close too. He hijacks Hannibal's nightly swim by shooting him with a trank gun. He then suspends him via noose, like a beautiful Nordic Jesus standing on a rusty pail. His forearms are sliced, and he's bleeding out, 
giving orderly the orderly enough time to learn that Hannibal is the Chesapeake Ripper before Jack and Alana find him and shoot him dead. We end with Will, awaiting word on how his plot unfurled, watching a sink overflow with blood. That's a mess, and so are you. <laughs> oh. Adios mio. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Kelly Sue, that you've outdone yourself oh. with the sign. That was delightful. <laughs> Aside from the incorrect slicing, I guess. Oh, no. She was well, sliced horizontally oh, sh- and. She was sliced both ways. Yes. That's true. Yeah. She was sliced both ways. Yeah. I mean, does it really matter? (laughs) (laughs) No. No. Any way you slice it. Traumatic, traumatic either. Oh, Oh. sorry, Bev. Sorry, Bev. (laughs) (laughs) My husband started, watched this with me and immediately started in on the bread slice, like uh, puns. And I'm like, nope, nope, I can't, I cannot do that. Not today. Well, I, I want to start this discussion today. Um, Given our history of watching episodes and um, Phil's attachment to Beverly Cats. <laughs> um, I want to start by checking in with Philip uh, following this episode. Um, clearly, I think at the end of the previous episode, it looked like the writing was on the wall. Sure. Um, and I also want for all of us to have a chance to say our goodbyes to this, you know, kind of unanimously beloved character, at least, you know, among our group, obviously, um, and find out what from everybody, what we think it was about um, Hetian Parks, you know, otherwise, you know, kind of a fairly straightforward character. And we, you know, it's not like we haven't seen this type of character before in just police procedurals in general, um, why her character resonated so much with us. So I'm going to turn to Philip first and, um, you know, ask you to put your emotions on the line right up front in the episode. Well, sure. I, I would say that my coming to like her so much was unexpected because obviously I didn't, I, I had a, an, ex- an aversion to her right away, just as Will did. And I, I kind of followed right along with Will's sort of uh, uh, direction, you know, with how the character kind of came to represent something specific for Will, um, as we've discussed uh, on, the sh- on the podcast already. But um, uh, yeah, like I sobbed for about 10 minutes after, after it happened. I got it all out of my system while the show was going. And you know, we've, we've recorded now over the course of, uh, like I started worrying pre-finale season one about her character. Uh, so just having it like happen and be over with now is was such a release of stress and catharsis, you know, because uh, uh, that's been on my mind, like just in normal life, like, God damn it, when's it going to happen? Uh, and, and yeah, like we, like we've kind of discussed her character a little bit and her portrayal that she's just a straightforward person that doesn't bullshit Will. And you come to respect her for that just as Will kind of comes to trust and invest in her. And so it's, it's that connection between the two characters that really heightens her character above what it could have been. Um, and I think that was really smart. It, this is the decision I would have made as a writer was to kill the one that will connected with just openly the most um and and that's how you heighten a lot of dramatic elements so as a creative i completely understand as a watcher i am still kind of you know it's devastating so yeah 
Lisa, you're, I, I'm not sure on your second, third, fourth viewing of, <laughs> of this, this particular, or these episodes, um, have you had the same experience of, has your view of Beverly shifted or is it? Um, I, I mean, I kind of always liked Beverly. I liked that she kind of like, she laid out her version of weird really early on, um, in the show, um, where like her fascination with Will's weird was like, I don't know, it, it carried something a little different to it. it. I didn't see it as being quite straightforward. I mean, it was like a subtle shift in this kind of character that we're used to seeing where it's like, yeah, she's pretty like, I mean, she's good at her job. <laughs> and, um, but at the same time, it's like, we get this, we get these little tiny like peaks at who she is when she's not at a murder scene, you know? Um, and I think the show, I've, I've always thought the show did a really great job of developing this character in really, really small ways to the point where when, it builds to this moment in the series. It's so utterly heartbreaking. And Will's immediate reaction to it, to basically do exactly what Hannibal wants him to do, which is become a killer, um, is, is brilliant. I mean, it's, it's, and so, yeah, like Phil was saying, it's complicated because it's like, oh, I loved her so much as a character, um, but at the same time, her death is serving the story really well. Justin. I think the thing about Beverly uh, is that in many ways, she is one of only two characters that don't infantilize Will. You know, everyone treats Will like a precious little flower, like, you know, like, like he's fragile. Um, and she respects the fact that he is strong and must be strong and treats him like, you know, they're on the same footing, you know, even though he's weird. She's like, yes, you're weird, but people are weird and kind of goes on with that. And so... And the only other person who's like that is Hannibal, except that Hannibal treats everybody like they're less than him. So it's not, you know, it's not the same at all. But um, like but Beverly, despite not seeing the truth about Hannibal, had this clarity of vision, at least when it came to Will, that I think we as an audience connect to because Will is our way into the story, really. You know, I mean, Look, we can all love Hannibal, but none of us relate to him. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and even though most of us aren't, you know, using our psychic powers to empathically, you know, connect to what other people are doing, we can still connect to Will's weaknesses and his fears and his desire to do well, even when he wants to get away. Like, we can relate to his humanity. And so because of how Beverly was a friend to Will, he she became a friend of the audience, mm -hmm. which is why, you know, the her loss is a perfectly framed one. Um, 
And as I was watching this, re-watching it and reading about it, uh, I found out that they actually intended to kill Beverly when Phil first suspected she was going to get killed. Wow. She was originally planned to be, originally they planned to no kill way. her at the end of the first season. Wow. Uh, but Brian Fuller decided that they had not really given her enough yet yeah. to make her loss as poignant as it could be. I'm glad and they so held they out. swapped, And so they swapped in Abigail Hobbs. Mm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Fascinating. Huh. That's really interesting. That's incredible. Yeah. Font yeah. of knowledge, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you are. Oh. I am not wrong True. about oh, no. Um, Well, I, I want to turn to our guest next, Sarah. I, I would like to hear, sure. um, get a little bit of your background with Hannibal. Like, what is your experience with the TV show? Um, and then, of course, you know, immediately with this particular character. Yeah. So I've watched... Um, I've watched the TV series probably two or three times. Um, I tend to be a glutton for punishment (laughs) when it comes to my media consumption. I spend all day uh, running therapy sessions and then I'll go and watch something like Black Mirror to decompress. (laughs) So it's, (laughs) it's a lot of emotional heavy. So I I totally keyed into this Um, and I've watched the movies, but I have not read the books, Uh, but I enjoyed the movies very much. And so I, this is a series close to my heart Mm. when it comes to, Beverly, I feel like she was arguably the most objective person in the room. Um, especially when it comes to Will, I would absolutely echo uh, a lot of the things that all of you have said about her, where she's very much tuned in to him in a way that nobody else is, which gives us a lot of hope watching it, because it's like, she she's going to get it, she's going to see it, she's finally going to break this open. And then... I love the emotional impact of what happens leading into what's going to happen next in the series because it's without spoiling it, her character would totally squash all of the feelings we're going to have later. So having her there feels like a lot of hope for Will that at least Beverly sees him. And then everybody else has these emotional ties and, and these deep seated like conflicts. This is honestly, this is, an, an ethical cesspool when it comes to the practice of psychology. <laughs> so, <laughs> absolute disaster. And she's one of the few people who's like doing her job, besides the fact that she then goes and talks to Will later. Mm-hmm. But I just, I, she was one of my favorites. So it was really hard seeing her go. Yeah. I, yeah. I, phrasing it that way that she sees Will objectively. I think she also sees everybody else very objectively, including Hannibal. I think she's one of the few characters who isn't immediately overwhelmed or cowed or like have an overblown view of Hannibal. Like she's the the few times we see them interacting one-on-one and they're in very recent episodes. She's very just kind of matter of fact and, and professional, you know, she's as open professionally with Hannibal as she is with most other people, um, but which I think is charmed by him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, Kelly Sue. Woo. Oh my gosh! Well, I mean, I can just echo what everybody else has said. Um, Beverly Katz is such a special character from the get-go, um, and really the get-go. I mean, she's there as the story breaks. In the very beginning right um and 
I appreciated the consistency of her character so much throughout these seasons. It's really, I mean, like we need any more testaments to the writing of this show. We don't. Um, but this is just one of the many examples of the care that they have for all of these characters and for who the characters are to each other. Um, because I think that what made Beverly's death so painful is how much we knew everyone cared for her. Um, all of the ways that that is sewn into the dialogue and sewn into the emotional moments. I mean, even from, even Freddie fucking Lowndes gets it. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. she's the one that's like, Jack, don't. The least compassionate person on the show, that's not a killer, <laughs> is the one who's saying, don't do it, you know? Um, and I think that coming from her, that was sort of the, that was the cherry on top of it mm -hmm. for me in terms of wrapping up Beverly's story is like, even this character who's callous and shows no regard for anyone, mm -hmm is is caring about this um and that's incredible to me and she was just kick-ass i mean she goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with the both of them and she's always wearing a freaking leather jacket and i appreciate that <laughs> yes yeah yeah yes absolutely it says so a lot that's about what i'll add to everything that i that everyone has already said that i wholeheartedly agree with right um well and i i felt such a sense of satisfaction about how, especially watching it for the second or third time after, you know, you're prepped for what's happening. Um, and you can kind of settle into the moments, you know, um, and you're not crying for 10 minutes, um, <laughs> Philip, yeah. which I absolutely did as well. It, but appreciating the montage that the writers give us, which really feels like a lot of those scenes feel like moments that could end up on a cutting room floor, right? Like how many police procedurals or crime procedurals take you, take the time to show the, like how the group at the office is, is getting the news about the person's death and, yeah. you know, those kinds of scenes. And I appreciate that they do that. Obviously, you know, Jack breaking down at the scene will, seeing her alive and talking to him in his, you know, in his moment of, of watching, you know, working through the, doing his thing. Um, all of those feel, things feel really, really powerful. Um, well, I, we want to transition, um, off to another topic now. Um, and really the best I could do with this episode, so much happens in this episode, obviously. Um, and one of the things that strikes me the most about it is the shift in tone. We were just talking about that, you know, in the, I think our last episode or two about how the tone of season two has slowed down, become more deliberate and dialogue based. Um, it feels like prior to this moment in season, in this season, we've been like watching um, Will and Hannibal like face off, like start that whole scene of gunfighters, like coming out into the main street and they're doing that slow-mo walk and they're facing off and, and, you know, sizing each other up and doing all these things for so long. And then in this episode with, you know, what happens with Beverly, we very quickly, you know, just like somebody's pulled the trigger and stuff starts to happen. <laughs> um, 
Will brings in both Frederick Chilton and Abel Gideon. Like people are, things are being revealed to people and people are being put into play um, in this, you know, like chess game really, really quickly. And I'm, I'm eager to hear everybody's take on how in control, because this is another topic that is kind of constant this season is how in control do we feel Will and Hannibal are of their game strategy at this point. And I'm going to start with Lisa K. Weber to see uh, what she thinks um, about. Um, uh, This version of Will that's coming out right now is, um, is just every time I watch the show is just endlessly fascinating to me. And it's so well done the way he starts to manipulate people and like play people the way Hannibal does in this effort to like get at Hannibal, this whole kind of exploration of him becoming Hannibal in order to get at him. Um, And so, yeah, like the way he plays Chilton um, is pretty masterful only because Chilton is so easy to play. <laughs> he has a good um, starting point when you're, when you're just starting to, to practice yeah, the manipulation it's like, skills. Yeah. It's like Chilton is your manipulation training wheels. <laughs> he's the first, he's the first level boss. He's yeah, exactly. <laughs> Before you move on to someone like Abel Gideon, who yeah. you have to handle in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you can really get your feet wet with Chilton. Um, yeah. and you know, everybody's playing Chilton all the time. Um, oh, yeah. so why not? Will now <laughs> start having some fun with them too. Um, He's that trumpet but you yeah, buy at a I, pawn shop that everybody's kind of <laughs> taking a. a yeah. um, but as far as how in control Will is in this moment, I don't think that it like, you know, he's still, he's still got the training wheels. So it's like, sure, he can work Chilton, but um, he's not as good at working Abel Gideon. Or even the um, the admirer, like in the end, it his plan fails. You know, it doesn't work. Um, and I'm fascinated by Abel Gideon. Like I found myself particularly fascinated by him in this episode because I was like what is his deal though kind of like Bedelia I'm like I don't know what his deal is like I don't know what it is he wants I mean I know he he tells Alana about Will's plan um and says that it's like oh I want to save Will from himself but that can't possibly be like his stated reason can't possibly be that and it's like it's not like he cares about Hannibal I mean Hannibal set him up and I'm just like, I, what, what's going on with Abel Gideon? <laughs> but Abel Gideon is a perfect example of how Will, of how not in control Will is, I think, because it's like, 
he's like, Will's not ready to play with the big dogs just yet in this manipulation game. Cause we've got Abel and Hannibal up here and Will hasn't earned the XP <laughs> to get at them. <laughs> right. Well, and it definitely feels, I think that on both sides, Will and Hannibal, this is not an episode where we're seeing either one of them playing several moves ahead mm. on things. Um, that's my take anyway. Um, Sarah, we've had this question about Abel, like what, like for so long, and I'm not putting you on the spot of like, please explain all things <laughs> Abel Gideon to us and, and elucidate, but what, 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 how does this, how does Abel Gideon strike you? Um, so I would say canonically, he started out as kind of this wild card very much on an intentional basis of kind of who is he, what is he doing? Why is he here? But at this point in the season, or I would even argue in season two, he's just an agent of chaos. His So oftentimes you'll see in folks who, I'm trying to think of how to even phrase it. It's hard to describe, but particularly when you run into people without remorse, they get their power from something different. It's not about justice. It's about getting a rise out of people. It's about like, that's how I see him. He's a, he's a chaotic neutral. He just wants to get a rise out of people. And that's where he derives like his enjoyment is getting under somebody's skin, not to weigh heavily on the pun, but like, that's, that's his angle. And you so can weigh heavily on any pun, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, love it. I love the pun, so I'm here for it. But that's how I see him is he and if you if you don't respect him because this is a this is kind of the season of peacocking in my opinion like everybody's about showing their stuff and how great and important they are and it's like they're throwing on doctor this doctor that doctor this but at the end of the day you're right he will isn't ready for this and and abel plays him like a fiddle because abel doesn't care about the same things will does he doesn't care about the same thing anybody does mm. yeah yeah you know, we start off the question of like, who, who does Abel think he is? Does he actually think he's the Chesapeake Ripper or not? I almost got to a point watching this episode for the umpteenth time this time where I honestly think that sometimes Abel Gideon thinks that Hannibal Lecter or as the Chesapeake Ripper is just a, like a manifestation of himself. And that sometimes he really does think he's still the Chesapeake Ripper, but just seeing himself talk to himself and telling him to do things. I, it completely not necessarily a legitimate take, but <laughs> I, that's how, that's how much my mind just keeps twisting around with all of this. Um, Philip. Um, going back to kind of, I guess, Will and Hannibal, I, you know, we were talking about Hannibal uh, in a previous episode, how he sort of he does something big and then he watches everything just kind of unfold and kind of steps back to watch the mess he's created to see how everybody reacts. And it's either in this episode or the next where Will kind of echoes that. He just wants to see what happens. Um, I think it's the next episode when he's talking to Gideon. Um, and that he said before, we've all, we've all talked about it. It's not a spoiler. Um, but uh, this is one of those instances where things get, I think, out of hand for Hannibal even. And I love it. I, I, I love being there to see it. Uh, uh, there's, you know, the great moment in the, in the pool where, you know, you talk about peacocking this uh, orderly has a swim off 
<laughs> like just to prove himself to himself that he's better than this other guy, you know, uh, you know, and Hannibal doesn't even know what's going on. Um, but uh, yeah, he dives in just to show off how fast he is for whatever reason, what a peacock move. Um, so, I mean, you know, this is a really interesting episode where I, I think both characters kind of lose their footing just a little bit um, in, in, how they are directing the story or, or their own story. And, you know, I'm, I'm here for that chaos. Uh, and you have just to see how that affects the characters. Uh, it's great storytelling. Um, this, yeah. yeah. Kelly Sue. Ooh. Oh man. I think, um, again, I'm agreeing hardcore with Lisa and Phil. Um, I think that I love watching Frederick Chilton. I just love it. He thinks he's so on top of it every time. And he's like, oh man, do I have the zinger for you? And every time it's just like, oh no, you don't. <laughs> oh, but I love to see you try. Um, and there's so much of him trying so valiantly in this episode. and. Um, jumping ahead of myself the next episode as well. Um, Abel Gideon is a total fucking wild card and has been from the get-go. That is energy that I always love, no matter whom oh, they are. He was um, a total delight in this episode. Oh my yeah. God. And Eddie is yeah. our just... Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. She's scenery also... without really moving very much, right? Yeah. Like mm -hmm. he's, he yeah. sits very still. Yeah, she's really great, Eddie. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Fantastic. Fantastic. Love yeah. Eddie Izzard. Love all of that. I also, this is totally off topic, but I'll mention it now. I love that <laughs> Hugh Dancy and Eddie Izzard, the two, um, those are the two Brits. Are there more? I don't know. It doesn't matter. I, yeah. They're switching over from their, you know, they're having an American accent, right? But they still sneak a little bit of their Britishness they're hoity-toity. Yeah, they both <laughs> they both fully enunciate Frederick. Yes. The way that other people don't. <laughs> and then Eddie Izzard also says advertisement. <laughs> American I, do. I like those sharp ears of yours. You like that? So yeah. those are things that I was just really loving. Those are this, those are both are in line unrelated, with yeah. unrelated entirely to this question. But I noticed them, um, and then the—it's fu funny—the um, the guy who plays the orderly is actually a good friend of my partner's. So anytime he shows up, I'm always like, "Dude, what are you doing, you weirdo?" <laughs> it breaks the it breaks the fourth wall a little for me. Um, Which that whole that whole that whole section, I'm a little bit. Um, I have an interesting perspective of because I'm just sitting there being like, oh, what was this like? Oh, ooh, what was that like? <laughs> oh my gosh, what did you guys talk about on your break? <laughs> you can carry my fangirling back to him because I adored him in like he was in Justified oh, and yeah. Person of Interest. He's been a lot of great characters in a lot of he shows has. that I really like. So, you yeah. know, just pass that along. Um, He's really I cool. I feel like we're going to be using the word peacocking a lot in this podcast. Thank you, Sarah, very much. Mm -hmm. We're going to yeah. take that and yeah. run with it. I feel like, um, Justin, would you, would you like to close this out before we go to break, uh, with your thoughts about, is anybody in control? Um, well, I think that Abel Gideon 
is the poster child for not being in control. <laughs> I think Abel is as unmoored as a character can be. Mm-hmm. I think that who he is and what he wants changes according to who he's talking to. Like, I don't think he is, he is an agent of chaos, but I don't think he knows it. I don't think he's deliberately stirring the pot. I think that at any given moment, he thinks he's a different member of the kitchen staff. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, I'll abuse the hell out of a metaphor. Um, <laughs> um, nice. I think that Abel, you know, he at one point he thought he was the Chesapeake Ripper. And then when it was suggested to him that he wasn't the, the Chesapeake Ripper, you know, he got all batshit because he didn't know who the hell he was. And he doesn't know if he wants to hurt Hannibal for, you know, setting him up hurt Will for shooting him, help Hannibal because he's obsessed with being the Chesapeake killer, uh, Ripper, or help Will because they're a, you, they have a common foe. I think he's just straight up, like he's so suggestible that the person that he's talking to redefines his sense of self. And I think that's what really comes out for me in the show. Um as Do you for think Will- there's a through line inside of him that's just like, I'm going to stir shit. Depending on who I'm talking to, I'm just going to stir shit for this person that I'm talking to. I think that like he it's... gets a new goal every scene. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't think I don't think there is a ultimately stir shit goal. I think that the fact that his goal changes based on who he's talking to makes that the inevitable outcome. So he's not mm. like, we're not wandering into like Joker territory. Like no. some men just want to see the world burn energy. No, I, I don't think so. I think that he is like, he's almost the anti-Joker, you know? Like he's so crazy. He's more like Two-Face because at Ooh, any okay. given moment, right. he's following different wants and desires, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I like this. Well, Batman that, that, villains for the win, baby. Um, <laughs> um, that vibrates. That vibrates really well with my idea of him, like thinking he's still thinking he's the Chesapeake Ripper. Like I think, I honestly think that he's almost like absorbing other people's identities in a way. Um, but that goes along with that, like changing of goal over. He's just getting overwritten with every yeah encounter. Uh, that it's that's that's how I read him. Yeah. Mm. Um, now, as for Will and Hannibal, like in a chess match, you always reach that point when, like you said, Claire, you're not following the plan. You're reacting to what's on the board, and people start making fast moves at that point, and that's the part of the game we're in. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And the problem is, Hannibal gets to see the whole board, and Will doesn't. You know, Hannibal has access to all of his pieces and Will doesn't. So I don't know, in my perspective, it's not that Will isn't leveled up enough to play the game. It's that he's playing right now with one hand tied behind his back. And, and all of Will's pawns keep telling Hannibal what the what his plan is. Yeah. Like well, be, every single one of them. Pick, he doesn't get to pick his pawns. Yeah. You know exactly. what I mean? Like, he's like, okay, well, there's a serial killer out there who likes me. I guess I'll use him. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like, and, 
Whereas Hannibal's like, hmm, I have Jack, I have Alana, I have, you know. It, so I, I think the problem is, is that in this gunfight, Will's already on his heels, you know. Um, and, and to his credit, to his credit is the one who draws blood. I mean, it. Well, he makes a surprising move. Yeah, yeah it's you a know? very. Yeah. Hannibal couldn't see that one pawn over there. Up the, you know, he couldn't right. see, you know. And then, hidden pawn. Uh, Will does a comp- <laughs> Nobody expects Will to lean on Freddie Lowndes. You know, mm. Freddie Lowndes despises him. The look on her face when she photographs him outside the observatory, you know, I mean, <laughs> mad doggery at its finest. You know what I mean? She is just For giving him sure. the hairy eyeball, you know? And I... I, I think Will is playing a beautiful game. He just doesn't have the pieces. Mm. Very interesting. Well, before we go to break, I just want to close out that while I was writing up this particular question for this part of the discussion, I wrote down that, you know, we get to this point in the episode and boom, dominoes start to fall. And then it, the immediate imagery in my head, I went back to the visual of Beverly in those plastic um upright wow. pieces and i went oh my god they're freaking dominoes that they're, they're set up and ready to go um which is the first time that's ever really occurred to me in this i it might be completely fabricated out of my own brain but there i like that so, i like nice. that a lot i mean very might nice. it be just an association that you're making yes oh, yeah but does it still freaking work is it still kind of brilliant <laughs> Uh-huh. And Sometimes the things we see is unintended. It still that's... freak me out because what if Hannibal really did intend that imagery as well? And uh, yeah, there's so much control right there. But anyway, um, we're going to take a break. Uh, we will be back right after this. Please stick around. Um, we'll see you in a bit. everybody welcome back um for our final little topic here i want to talk about matthew brown who is our will's admirer who we meet um i feel like we have him for too short of a time um mm-hmm. in this episode he is played by jonathan tucker who is just phenomenal in this role and many others um mm-hmm. Matthew Brown is, as Justin pointed out a little earlier, an orderly in the hospital. So he's, you know, we see that he's behind the the scenes and even probably dictating how much Frederick Chilton knows and doesn't because he's, he's the, you know, guy in control of the, the cameras and what gets seen and heard. Um, I I was really, really struck with this rewatching of this episode with the what feels to me like just very overt like increase ramping up of the homoerotic imagery like I really feel that like most of what he is doing as a character this Matthew Brown is acting as like an intermediary in like direct sexual tension between Hannibal and Will like the his whole discussion with Will at the cage is the way he's like lounging up against the wall while he's talking to him. And then when he lets Will out of the cage and they have that like soap opera 
romantic tension moment where they're faced away from each other, like, you know, and Will's looking out the window. And then when we go to the pool and he shoots Hannibal and then the, the shot is from the pool, looking up Jonathan Tucker's very nicely toned swimmer's body. It's just, it feels very like this show is very purposefully giving us this tension um, and not so much in subtext. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I just need everybody to validate that that wasn't me. Philip, go ahead. Um, sure. sure. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I mean, like, uh, the first thing I thought about when, uh, Hannibal was on his little cross was, oh God, the girls are probably like cooing right now. Um, uh, that was my first Cooing is yeah. how you could describe it. <laughs> Well, <laughs> we have to go back to the beginning of this episode where he's all like in a sweater, like oh, oh, casual, oh, casual. Yeah, I was casual actually going to say Hannibal casual is, winter yeah. wear Hannibal right out yeah. of the magazine with, with tussled, with, yeah. not like tussled the hair out of like, you know, perfectly yeah. tussled hair. Yeah. I was like, come you're, on, you're, you're yeah, so casually he's handsome. Buzz sawing a frozen, you know, yeah. forensic yeah. pathologist <laughs> hair. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. What an asshole. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> he right. had a busy night. It's hard to get to your hair in the morning after such a um, But not night. too busy to say what's new at J. Crew. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh my God. So true. And that all rhymed. Philip, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, no, 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 with... that's okay. I I mean, I, I don't know if I have much more to add to that than yes, I, I saw it as well, Claire. I thought Did it was I thought it, it was though, pretty oh I mean I I felt it was pretty overt, uh, you know, as opposed to, you know, what we've experienced before. Um, and I just like the moment you see uh, Jonathan Tucker as Matthew Brown swagger through that, you know, telling uh, Freddie Lowndes what to do or what not to do with that specific voice. I'm like, oh, he's the one like that is such kind of <laughs> kind of that movie moment, that primal, that primal fear character. Right. Where you're like, um, yeah. here's here's a guy who's pretended to be someone else, and now I know who he actually is. Like they they don't hide it like right away. It's pretty, pretty like this is the one. This is the guy. Yeah. Done. Right. Um, it was well like well handled in, in regards to that. Um, but yeah, that's all I all I have to add about that uh, wonderful, fun little performance of his. <laughs> um, Sarah, your take on this particular um, side character? Um, any thoughts? that are sure yeah pg-13 or otherwise it doesn't matter <laughs> so i see him as like he brings back so many memories of when i worked in forensics and the behavior of people who felt less than mm. and how they would over aggrandize it's kind of like the biggest peacock with the least amount of feathers if we're going to ride that analogy yeah. but really wow. he's scrappy and that's that's advantageous to him because the way i see like even back to the J. Crew reference, right? Hannibal is all about maintaining this image and that's part of his control. But if we tie it back in, like if Hannibal is this perfectly preened tiger maybe or something, this is this is the scrappy little hyena who nobody pays any attention to, nobody takes seriously. He's not seen as a threat, but because of that, he has this straightaway to get in there and actually attack in a way that nobody expected. So I think it's really crafty the way that he was portrayed because it showed it, it dismantled his threat in order to create a threat. 
So I think his his storyline yeah. was really fascinating because he he grates on the nerves at first. He did such a good job acting that role because he's not a comfortable person to watch. <laughs> no, no, it's like he's got that. He's got such a specific quality of like, ooh, this guy is a total creep. <laughs> like, there's just something in the way he's put together that it's like, yeah, there's just something in like, the way he moves. Mm-hmm. He didn't take that job at the at the asylum to help people. He took that job right, to get close right. to what he wanted. Well, exactly. And, and rewatching um, it, rewatching it after you know who he is, you can see how carefully the writers present him to us in the episode, where because he's there when Will's being brought out of the van mm-hmm. in the full Silence of the Lambs get up. Um, he's he's there, but you don't have any reason to notice him. And and so yes, when he when he's doing his little walk thing with with it's it's how he's talking to Freddie Lowndes and also how he's walking. Like he's not walking like a professional. Mm-hmm healthcare or whatever it is, you know, provider of anything. He's walking like he's getting ready to, you know, like go to a 1920s era, like bank heist or something. I don't, I, that wasn't the right metaphor. Um, but <laughs> but I feel anyway, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> did you notice in the next episode, um, Gideon actually calls out Chilton on that, mm-hmm. that like he had no experience working in this kind of setting. So why do you have him employed at this kind of a facility? So that's exactly yeah. it. Yeah. Like his, his background that he even self-describes is like, well, when you've been in one of these places, you can pretend. And it's like simple background check people come on anyway, Justin, looks like you have thoughts. <laughs> well, to go back to that, you know, that weird ass walk and talk that he has with um, Freddie to me, I mean, one thing that has been true about this show from the very beginning, this show does not center the straight male gaze never has, you know what I mean? And that's, you know, that's one of its strengths in my opinion. Um, And you're right that this is the first really overt homoerotic like you know there's been plenty of homoerotic subtext this is the first overt you know Mm. homoerotic like and it begins with that walk and talk because what i see is i see a guy who is really upset that this bitch is going to talk to my girl do you know what i'm Mm. saying and Mm -hmm. he is he is trying to establish dominance in that walk by you know walking too fast and you know laying down the law and saying this is how it's gonna be and i'm gonna be right outside and (laughs) you know it it is very much uh i'm watching you with my girl you better not do misbehave sort of thing you know um and yes and instantly the first time he opens his mouth you're like oh that's the guy that guy's he's uh, he's he's evil this is evil steve yeah you know like you're just like this is not a good person um, this is evil steve yeah. <laughs> yeah. that yeah. is great oh, by the way my god that's I, that needs to be explained to me i don't know who hold evil on steve is. taking i'm just making a quick note evil. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can it. even call him steve if you want okay steve, is this a, a is this somebody i should know about in no no this is something oh, just, a, just, this so is just a name Justin made up this oh, is okay. off the top of my head yeah i appreciate um, it on that level as well Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and he definitely, you know, he has that whole speech with Will 
about hawks on a wire and birds crowding them. And he is totally a little bird. He is, you ever watch those old Bugs Bunny cartoons with the big dog and the little dog and the little dog's like, <laughs> yeah. hey, Spike, Spike, Spike. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. I mean, let's go get a cat. You know, where is it a cat? You know, and that's, he's the little dog. He's, and he sees Will and Hannibal as big dogs. And Will is the, you know, the big dog he wants to be with. And Hannibal's the big dog he wants to take down and replace, you know, and. Dang. Yeah. So that's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Very well done. And pinchers, I have one little. Pinchers th- are the most violent dog. Mm. Little dogs, the most violent dogs. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the little people. Pinchers. Little people are violent pinchers, too. Yeah. Um, and also, did you say little people are violent too? <laughs> yes. <laughs> nerdy. Uh, uh, another nerdy <laughs> bit of trivia. Handle trivia. <laughs> uh, how, 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 Justin? How tall is your? Uh, how tall is uh, your wife? My wife is i'll put it to you this way yeah she's more than a foot shorter than me yeah you know is, is and, that yes i'm just curious I'm if always, that's coming from a personal perspective i'm the one but... always hurt yes that's yes, true okay okay i was just curious <laughs> I don't, yeah not 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 meaning to bring out your dirty laundry but it felt personal to some degree um no. oh shit what was i about to say yeah. um, it sounds like you had a factoid oh, yeah. yes factoid so you may recall in silence of the lambs the movie um, uh, Frankie Faison plays Barney, the orderly in, and his character's name is Barney Matthews. And the oh. character here is named Matthew Brown. And he is an homage to that character. He mm-hmm. is the dark reflection and where Barney has a respectful, um, relationship with Hannibal. They, they always get along and Hannibal even sends in the books, Hannibal sends Barney a, a, a financial gratuity after he escapes. Um, um, and so his relationship with Will is meant to mirror Barney's with Hannibal. Interesting. Wow. Factoids. Yeah. yeah. Nerdy factoids. Nice factoids. Dang. I'm your Huckleberry. <laughs> I, I'll now just I have close to this. Call- oh, sorry. I was Go just going to I was Go just going to say, because I know we're about to move on, but I just wanted to close by saying that Claire, you are, I mean, obviously we all saw it. So I hope you feel validated. That was yes. highly sexual in nature. That is, that that is why, that's why I come here. And yes, you have done that. And now we're going to have to call Justin the font of factoids. So, mm-hmm. you fair. know, I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still jealous. Of font of, I'm jealous of font of beauty, but that's fine. <laughs> you, know, you can't Absolutely. have it it's mine <laughs> all right um such a good discussion i'm going to turn this over to philip now because as the fates would have it in this the most the most emotionally wrecking of all episodes mm. for philip potentially yeah. Yeah. um he gets to give us our exquisite corpse um discussion but here we are uh yeah there's an art to murder especially in the world of hannibal and this exquisite corpse as claire said probably the most most emotionally devastating exquisite corpse so far 
we hope to do some amateur sleuthing and maybe some professional sleuthing with Sarah here to break down the murder scenes and offer some deeper insights into the murders based on the myriad of production elements presented, etc. Um, the first sort of visual correlation I made was, of course, to Tarsem's The Cell um, when we see the horse split into segments. Um, but the, the second correlation that, that that actually was based on, which most likely this might have also been based on, was... Um, art installations by the popular and many call infamous British artist Damien Hirst, in which he uh, has taken animals, split them in two, um, put them in formaldehyde and put them in glass cases. So you can walk between them and see the insides of these animals. And it's uh, there's a famous infamous one in which there's a mother cow and the daughter cow there. And um, you can see them juxtaposed with each other. And it's supposed to bring you uh as you walk through the museum closer to makes you face your own mortality is in essence the um the idea and i can't think of a two things spring to mind uh, a better way to make will face or any of these characters face their own mortality than by putting beverly cats on display uh in such a way the second thing is that these were all animals and Hannibal sees his victims as animals. And so putting Beverly on display in such a way shows her as uh, an animal, which is, uh, again, a devastating thing. Uh, you know, it, it, uh, it, it makes you, obviously, it reminds you that even though we enjoy Hannibal as a character, in this instance especially, um, that he is very much the villain, uh, in, in a very personal way now, even for the viewers. Um, so yeah, I, those were the, some of the correlations I saw as far as you know what's out there in the world and, and kind of what they might mean towards uh, this character. Obviously, Will, you know, he dissected her like uh, she dissects the crime scene uh, was also a powerful observation, but I'm curious if uh, everybody else here might have another takeaway uh, from this or... Um, Sarah, do you have any any thoughts about this uh, crime scene? Yeah, I think the way I interpreted it, other than, other than like getting past my memory of attending like the bodies exhibits, I don't know oh, if yeah. anyone's seen those. Mm -hmm. But yeah, sure, sure. Never it want to eat a hot dog again. Um, <laughs> I, th <laughs> I thought that it was very curious. It was a statement of not only confidence on Hannibal's part. And like showing that I can do this and I can give you the whole body and I can break it down for you and you still can't figure me out, but also of vulnerability. And there's something vulnerable about seeing the inside of something. And so to have her laid out like that is like, none of you are safe. None of, none right. of you are safe. And she's a character that I would argue is very relatable to the audience. And yet here she is dead. So I think about that too, of like, she is nothing but meat to him just like the rest of the team, whereas the team has been relatively untouched to this point, other than like fucking with Will's head. Right. But now this is a different level. This is getting personal with everybody around and nobody's safe. Yeah. And so that's mm -hmm. also exposing literally and figuratively of Beverly's body too. Mm -hmm. So there's that multi-layer right. interpretation. Like I know you, I see you. Yeah. 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 Uh, Kelly Sue, any thoughts on this? Ooh. So many thoughts. 
Um, it was really hard since I have the recommendation for this episode to not be like, I'm going to recommend the cell because <laughs> it is like the imagery is so similar. Right. Um, but I think that it's, to me, this was one of the more, excuse me, shocking murder tableaus for sure. Um, for all the reasons that Sarah kind of outlined where it was like, I think one of the reasons why it hit so hard for me was that um, Hannibal knows this person. He knows the relationships that she has with others. He knows that it's something that Jack is going to see and that Will is going to see. Um, and that put a really poignant point on it for me. Um, you know, like this isn't just, she's gonna disappear, you know? This is like, um, yeah, that sort of like, this is an animal. Come and look at this, you know, spectacle um, that was really gut-wrenching about this the first time around. And then again, you know, watching it again isn't easier, <laughs> <laughs> even though you know it's coming. Well, and the way they ramp up the tension for the reveal Oof. of this is is not something that they've done before with us. Mm -hmm. You know, we've we've certainly come to, and I'm thinking about even just recently the the beehive bodies, right? Like we get that wonderful like point of view from the bee, you know, introduction to that that body. Mm -hmm. But this is this is different. This is Freddie Lowndes walking in and seeing something. And we we suspect, we know, I don't think anybody who's watched the previous episode and that cliffhanger is, you know, you come into this episode absolutely expecting, oh, something really, really bad has happened mm -hmm. to Beverly. And yeah. for us to not see what Freddie Lowndes sees, um and they played that scene so well too, where you think just for a split bloody second that she's reaching for her phone, like a normal yeah. human being, <laughs> mm -hmm. but no, it's her camera. She pulls out so well done. Yeah. Um, yeah. I did the same thing. I was like, oh, wow. Like she's, she's <laughs> pulling out her phone now and then it's a camera and it's like, oh God, I forgot. We're talking about Freddie Lowndes yeah, here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We forgot who we were watching. Oh, freak. Right. Um, yeah, that's just, that's what strikes me about the scene. Also, and I, you know, I just want to say that, you know, all of the emotional impact, you know, absolutely does hit me, but I do also spend some time afterwards thinking, okay, how the freak does Hannibal have those glass slash, like, I, I'm assuming they're specialty, like plexiglass slabs, like, how did he have time to do all of that? As, and how did he, how did he get them up that narrow freaking circular stairway into the observatory? And how, like, does he have, I spend too much time on that, but it, no, I it mean, like as, as someone brain. who, you know, did the art school thing, it's like, and did, you know, I barely passed my 3d classes. <laughs> in my foundation year, because I don't think in 3D, I think in 2D. So um, I always did a really bad job on my 3D assignments, but I go straight back there because I'm like, how do you, how do you make that work? 
and Mm-mm. to say nothing of just like the resources of like these giant plexiglass slabs um and you have to you assume know, that getting Hannibal- them up to their final installation place yeah he it's had to like, have had them handy so he had to have been thinking hey someday i'm going to plexiglass some yeah some and i wonder if he sometimes slices. like plans out like you know someday i'm going to do this piece and so that maybe that's why he had them handy and had it already figured out <laughs> well let's be real yeah. let's be real beverly katz for all that we loved her was pretty much the rudest member of the main cast mm-hmm. And I think it's safe to say that Hannibal, after an interaction or two with her, was like, oh, she's gonna get got. And and knew and had decided, and this is how I'm going to do it. Yeah, this, entirely possible. So I mean, yeah. this is a guy who plans ahead. I mean, he's got the duel, the dueling Rolodexes to show us that, you know, the business card and the recipes. You know, we know <laughs> that he plans ahead. Um, so I'm comfortable that he had those prepared, that he knew how he would kill Beverly when the time came. Um, He just didn't know when he was going to choose to kill her. And when he made that choice, he wanted to be ready. Um, I, this is my favorite tableau of the entire show. Um, It is a, because it's such a message to specific people you know, he is definitely saying something both to Jack and to Will, which I love. Um, I like because it, you know, it carries on that just denigrating, you know, I think this person is less than, you know, style of his murders that Sarah articulated already better than I ever would have. Um, but Philip made me think of something because, you know, he brought up Damien Hurst and how Hurst bisected a lot of those animals you know and i found it interesting that he maybe he say maybe hannibal's saying you know in a way you're a step above the cow because i'm going to cut you into six pieces instead of two you know that i'm going to show you are many lay you are a many layered piece of livestock you know you are not simply you know um which might be the 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 the, the sole, you know, demonstration of respect we've seen from him in a murder thus far. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also really key to note that when Hannibal has killed someone that we knew already on this show, we don't see their body. They just disappear. You know what I mean? Like, at this point, the only thing we'd, we had seen an arm left behind of from Miriam last, but hmm. she like he he disappears. Those people we know, he doesn't leave them on display, and this is a first, you know, yeah. for the show in that mm. way. Yeah. You know, I feel like that's directly related to how meat processing happens. We don't want to <laughs> see the ugly stuff; we just want the steak in front of us, and oh. that's yeah. what that makes me think about too. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. watching watching him grind up Beverly's kidneys oh. was awful um yeah it was was awful Um, it's so it's so crazy because like your guys's reactions like it's it's kind of sad because i am such a stereotypical black dude like you guys are you know you get emotional you get horrified i yell at the tv 
<laughs> I, I I yell and cuss at the TV, and I have to keep it, and I have to pill, shove a pillow on my face so I don't wake my wife, and, like because I am that dude. I, I, the first time I saw that episode, I definitely was like, "Oh, like you know, yeah. like you know." There, there, there were no tears; it was shock and amazing. And Hannibal, you motherfucker! You know, it was like yeah. you know that's that's my. Mm-hmm. That's, I, that's I think, how I react. I think that's know. a good way to end this exquisite corpse. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And back yeah. to Claire. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. There, there um, are ways goodness. that I just fulfill the stereotype in just horrible ways. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, well, that brings us to a very interesting uh, close. Um, and, and like we do for every episode, you know, these, if you liked Hannibal, we always have thoughts about other things you might like. So I'm going to hand it off to Kelly Sue, who uh, will bring us a recommendation. And everybody loves my recommendations. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I've got another sideways. (laughs) Yeah, frozen. I just really want to talk about the um, the connections (laughs) between Hannibal and Will and Anna and Elsa. Um, (laughs) Anyway, the recommendation that I have was, first of all, right out the gate, I will say this. If you liked this episode and you have not seen The Cell, go fucking watch The Cell. Just that. (laughs) <laughs> Secondly, my actual recommendation for this episode is actually a movie called Meet Joe Black, mm-hmm. starring Brad Pitt, Anthony Hopkins, who is of Hannibal Cannon, as we know. Um, not only does it deal very heavy-handedly with the themes of mortality, <laughs> um, it's filled with a dramatic pause Like that movie would probably be 25 minutes long if they took out all the dramatic pauses. But it also has a very sexy indoor swimming pool scene, not unlike the swimming pool scene in this episode. Um, It is not the greatest movie that you'll ever watch, but um, it deals with some pretty interesting themes and there are some cool conversations within it. And of course, Anthony Hopkins is glorious. So... My recommendation is Meet Joe Black. I haven't seen that since I saw it in the theaters. And I only saw it in the I only saw it in theaters (laughs) because they showed the Phantom Menace uh, trailer beforehand and everyone knew it. And so I was like, fuck, I'm going. I'm going to see it. Wow. That's the best reason to see a movie ever. That's delightful. That was me in the nineties. Listen. No regrets, I don't right? want to go None. on record. I don't want to go on record as saying that this what? is a good film. I don't want to go on the All record right. saying I feel, that, but, I, but like I will go on the record saying that it's worth a watch. It's an underrated film, I think. Right. I, I don't think it's 100%. as bad as, as it, it, it's rap. Well, if you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to like and subscribe to Popsicle on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you may listen. New episodes of Murder Husbands release every Tuesday. Next week, join us as we will again have a special guest, Sarah Hayes. She she hasn't run screaming, so um, we're we're delighted to have her again. Um, And in which we are going to dissect 
season two, episode six of Hannibal. Um, please take a listen to our other ongoing series. That episode was in which we just finished discussing FX on Hulu's Why the Last Man. Um, also, you know, do what you can to spread the word that we would like season two of that show, please. Um, we are also going to be discussing or will be discussing by the time this episode airs the final season of The Expanse on Amazon. Amazon? Amazon, Amazon Prime. Prime. Amazon, Amazon Prime. <laughs> Breaking down the new series episodes as they air. You can also go back and listen to our series talking about seasons one through five of The Expanse um, that we um, issued through the Fanbase Press. Um, follow at Popsicle Pod on all social media sites and visit our website, popsiclepod.com, for all the latest Popsicle news. Remember, that's P-O-P-S-K-L, Popsicle. This has been a Popsicle production.